This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, May 25th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Matt Hoish. In today's headlines, FBI arrests Norwood Man for threats to law enforcement. More bluegrass tickets for locals. Telluride Town Council considers construction regulations. And a mountain weather forecast. The Federal Bureau of Investigation arrested Brian Cornwell, a 39-year-old Norwood man, on Friday, May 20th for allegedly threatening to blow up the San Miguel County Sheriff's Office. We received um, uh, threatening messages from him, uh, and he stated he wanted to um, blow up the Sheriff's Office and a couple of businesses in Norwood. There isn't really a, an appropriate state statute regarding uh, these types of uh, threats. So we contacted the FBI and they, they immediately uh, took it very seriously and um, uh, got an arrest warrant for, for Mr. Cornwell and, and uh, asked us to pick him up. That's San Miguel County Sheriff Bill Masters. According to the FBI's arrest affidavit, in addition to the sheriff's office, Cornwell allegedly threatened to blow up a local Norwood bike shop and the Lone Cone Bar and Restaurant. The affidavit notes Cornwell worked as a ski patroller at the Telluride Ski Resort. He was reportedly let go from the position earlier this year due to a failed drug test. During the FBI's investigation, they determined Cornwell had experience handling explosives as part of the resort's avalanche control and mitigation. Masters again. We determined that Mr. Cornwell has uh, experience with uh, explosives, so we took that uh, rather seriously that he also had uh, items that can be made in, in, into explosives, uh, uh, such as fertilizer uh, for his uh, marijuana grow operation. And he um, uh, he was upset with, with uh, uh, it seemed like the world in general due to uh, his uh, girlfriend's recent death by overdose. The sheriff's office has been in contact with Cornwell over the past several months as a person of interest in connection with their investigation into the death of Brittany Roman in February. The two were reportedly dating at the time. Roman died as a result of a suspected fentanyl overdose. Sheriff Masters notes there is not an ongoing threat to the public, but he says the incident speaks to broader struggles when it comes to mental health and substance use in the region. There are a number of people on the edge in our community for a variety of different reasons. Our mental health services are extremely overtaxed, and um, we, we, um, it's, it's, um, it's difficult time. Uh, no doubt about it. I also am very concerned about the fentanyl plague in our, our nation, and people need to be very cautious about that because um, I think we're going to have more deaths, and that's obviously going to affect the people left behind. Cornwell made his first appearance in federal court in Grand Junction on May 23rd. A preliminary hearing is scheduled for Monday, June 6th. If convicted, Cornwell faces up to 10 years in prison and a $250,000 fine. For those who missed out on local bluegrass tickets this year, fear not. 
This week, Telluride Town Council gave the green light for the Telluride Bluegrass Festival to increase its capacity and allow for an additional 500 local tickets per day of the festival. The request is to increase the allowable crowd size per day for this year's festival from 11,500 to 12,000 people per day. Planet Bluegrass has already made 600 tickets per day available to residents of San Miguel County and is looking to add an additional 500 tickets per day uh, to San Miguel County residents as well at a discounted rate. That's Stephanie Jacquet, Parks and Recreation Director for the Town of Telluride. In terms of impacts, uh, Town Park property would see some additional impacts from an additional 500 attendees per day. Specifically, the playing fields, which are the festival grounds, um, would have additional feet on it throughout the, the time. And then the weather is always an uncertainty. She adds an additional 500 festivarians per day could have an impact on camping and parking and water and wastewater. Law enforcement, uh, Chief Compt believes that there will be sufficient staff to manage the proposed crowd size um, with utilization of reserve officers and event security. When it comes to why Bluegrass wants the added tickets, Craig Ferguson, Telluride Bluegrass promoter, says they've seen increased demand for tickets from locals. We've already done the local ticketing program that allows the capacity increase. Um, expect At that point, expecting that the, that number was, that, that was the same local tickets that we've always sold. And it really has never been an issue before. Um, so we were a little surprised at how many um, people wish they could have bought them. A vote by town council is required to increase the capacity of the festival. Ferguson says the decision should be easy. If I was in your shoes, I want locals to come to this show. It's the most powerful festival we've ever put on. And uh, we didn't really intend to not have enough for locals. I think there's more locals in town, too. Council was overall supportive of increasing the capacity to allow locals to attend, but have some concern about Bluegrass's ability to ensure the tickets actually go to locals. Here's council member Geneva Shawnat. Initial reaction that I've heard from many people is excitement at the opportunity to buy tickets, but a frustration that they figure that many of those tickets will be sold to tourists or will be sold, you know, scalped to other people. Because once you get, you know, if each person can buy four tickets, then they can sell them to whoever they want. Bluegrass Director of Operations Zach Tucker says they require proof of San Miguel County residency, such as a driver's license or utility bill. But Councilmember Dan Enright has concerns that by only requiring a utility bill, Bluegrass could sell tickets to individuals who aren't full-time residents. Second homeowners, as much as I value them in our community and love their presence, they spend four weeks a year here and consider themselves a local, and they'll say, they'll swear in a stack of Bibles that they're a local and that's ne necessarily the population I'm trying to serve with this. Of I want to serve full-time year-round residents who live and work and send their kids to school in San Miguel County. Ferguson says he understands the sentiment. That's our priority too. How to do that in a way that doesn't make it a big pain in the ass for the people you're trying to serve. He urged council to allow multiple forms of identification to claim residency and let Bluegrass use their discretion to sell the local tickets. Telluride Town Council unanimously voted to approve the increased capacity for the 2022 Bluegrass Festival. 
Individuals will be allowed to purchase one four-day pass. There will be 400 available for sale. Or up to four single-day tickets. There will be 100 per day available. Those purchasing must prove residency in San Miguel County at the time of purchase and when they get their wristband. The 49th annual Telluride Bluegrass Festival will take place in Town Park, Solstice Weekend, June 16th to 19th. For everything, there is a season. In Colorado, warming weather means construction season. This week, Telluride Town Council heard an update on local construction around town. According to Planning and Building Director Ron Quarles, most of the construction is concentrated on the east end of town, north and south of Columbia Avenue. We did see an increase of five actual building permits for new construction in this area. Construction that was already in place in, uh, in 2021 uh, continues to occur. So this, this area is probably impacted more than any other area of town. Willow Street Quarles says we'll also see some impacts. We have construction projects that are either in process or nearing completion, but we also have new requests, uh, HARC reviews and approvals have already been in place for three new projects. So Willow Street potentially could have six active projects occurring on Willow Street. There's also a spattering of other projects around town with a mix of new construction and remodels. And all, all of the new construction projects are either approaching 4,000 square feet or exceeding 4,000 square feet. In the town core quarrels notes, there's only two active projects, a remodel of the Belmont building and the construction of the Ware's house on East Pacific Avenue. All in all, as of mid-May, there are 112 active building permits. That's about half as many as the same time last year when there were 214. When council began discussing the information, council member Dan Enright pointed to the relationship between redevelopment and affordable housing, and that redevelopment isn't held to the same mitigation standards as new development. I think we need to start examining how extensive redevelopment impacts our affordable housing supply in our town and what we as council might do to mitigate some of those impacts. And Wright is also curious about ways to spread out new construction over time and points to a six-month moratorium on new development Aspen enacted earlier this year. I'm not suggesting that we do that, but I wonder if there is an in-between step that could help to stagger before going to that level of a measure. Councilmember Lars Carlson wonders why that's even a discussion, noting the 50% dip in active building permits year on year. He adds town already has high fees for construction. Your normal house is paying somewhere between 200 to 300,000 in fees. That's what the fees are these days for house. And if you guys want to understand, this all trickles down. Nothing is more affordable. It's less affordable. Councilmember Geneva Shawnette agrees with Enright to look at affordable housing mitigation for redevelopment. She's also interested in thinking about mitigating the effects of construction on surrounding areas. I know that that area of town up by Willow and Gregory has been getting really hammered by construction. And I wonder when we need to step in and say six projects going on at once is too many or whether we step in from the uh, building permit phasing 
way or by only allowing a certain number of parking permits per construction team. Seanette says a lot of community feedback she gets is about work trucks taking up street parking. I'm not saying we should stop construction. I'm just saying we got to figure out the parking. Council didn't make any final decisions during their work session this week, but they plan to have another discussion on construction regulation at their retreat on June 9th. When you look at the strength of current air travel, it's a toss-up. Everything is two sides of a coin right now. There's some positives, there's some challenges, uh, you know, goods and bads all the way through this. And I think that's not an uncommon situation. <laughs> Most things we're dealing with right now. That's Matt Skinner, CEO of Colorado Flights Alliance, presenting to Telluride Town Council this week. On the one hand, he says, consumer confidence in flying is plummeting. As people are nervous about inflation, people are nervous about the economy, and that was even pre-war. Skinner notes confidence still isn't as low as 2010, coming out of the Great Recession. And on the flip side... We haven't seen any real dip in people's desire to travel. And so even though there's lack of confidence about the economy... People are still prioritizing travel as one of the highest things in their list and in their households. He adds with a rise in gas prices, it might keep people out of their cars for travel. You know, we've been hit really pretty impactfully by regional drive traffic over the last couple of years. Certainly one of the challenges. And so the actual the national economic setup might help us buffer that. You know, on our side of the ball, we are trying to work through the airline recovery and put people back in planes, you know, just as that's the, the core guest that really helps support our destination financially, less impact, less volume, etc. And so obviously all works together holistically. And looking away from tourism, Skinner says flights into Montrose are helping the regional airport diversify. When Southwest came in, we were leery, right? It's something that doesn't necessarily fit the Telluride destination, but was great for the 550 corridor. And luckily, happily, however, we've we've managed with their customer bases is we've seen Montrose Airport really diversify in the customers it's pulling. So it's pulling from a much broader what we call a catchment area, like all the way to Glenwood and probably down to Durango, you know, a little bit into Utah. And so more volume into the Montrose Airport and a lot more local originating, like almost double our normal percentage and a much higher uh, visiting friends and family and business traffic. Looking to summer, there will be flights from Denver, Chicago, Dallas, and Houston into Montrose, and flights from Denver and Phoenix into the Telluride Regional Airport. It's been three years since the last fully in-person mountain film, but starting Thursday, the local celebration of cinema, summits, and spirit returns for its 44th iteration. Almost 130 films will show at this year's festival, and some will even be available to those without a pass. Each night, a free film will be shown in Town Park, starting Thursday from 8.30 to 10.30 p.m. with the local Legends and Steep Thrills shorts. Friday night from 8.30 to 10.30 p.m., catch Chasing Coral, a film that pairs beauty and urgency with a glimpse of the tragedies that will continue if humans don't address climate change. Saturday night, the yin and yang of Jerry Lopez is the town park flick from 8.30 to 10.30. The film jumps into the inner world of one of the surf industry's biggest personas of the past half century. And Sunday night, town park will host the Real Rock 16 shorts from 8.30 to 10.15 p.m. In addition to those free film offerings, find the full Mountain Film schedule at mountainfilm.org. The gondola awakens from its off-season slumber on Thursday, May 26th. 
the transit system will run from 6.30 a.m. to midnight, seven days a week, with service until 2 a.m. on Fridays and Saturdays, starting June 17th through September 16th. The gondola will zip back and forth for the summer season through Sunday, October 16th. New data shows an overwhelming majority of Colorado residents view the rising cost of living as a serious problem. Many are feeling the pinch in their own lives. A new poll from the Colorado Health Foundation shows that around one in three Coloradans have worked multiple jobs, or more than they wanted, to pay for housing. KGNU's Shannon Young spoke with Jace Woodrum, Senior Officer of Public Opinion Insights for Colorado Health Foundation, about the findings. I see this new poll on housing and the cost of living as part of a broader suite of surveys being carried out by the Colorado Health Foundation. Talk about the big picture of the research that's coming out between now and the end of June. Absolutely. Well, we conduct an annual poll every year. This is our third year now, and we do it to really hold up a mirror to Coloradans and reflect back their experiences, their worries, and their priorities. This year, we have so much that we've learned that we're rolling it out in a series of phases. So we're starting with uh, data on cost of living and housing. We'll shift next to data about health and well-being from healthcare access to mental health, and then we'll wrap it up, and we're really committed to transparency. So we'll make everything available. Focusing on the new findings, looking at cost of living and housing specifically, what are the standouts? You know, it's really been just a year since we heard in our our poll that Coloradans were feeling some confidence in a rebounding economy. Uh, Our first time in the field in 2020, there was widespread concern about the economic impacts of COVID. We saw some increasing confidence last year and this year now, this overwhelming sense of uh, struggle and financial instability. So we're we're seeing that show up in a lot of different ways. We've got more people saying I'm worse off financially than a year ago, more people worried about affording food for their families, more people are worried about being able to pay their rent or their mortgage. And just that that kind of financial instability is really showing up across the board. And for some people, it's not just worry about the future. It's also the difficult sacrifices that they're making right now. We've got more people skipping meals because they can't afford food. And that has an impact on their health and well-being. And when we say overwhelming majority or overwhelming concern, we're talking about in the range of 88 percent. So 88% of Coloradans said the rising cost of living in this state is a very or extremely serious problem. When you dig under that, there is even more troubling numbers. We have 30% of people who say they're worried about losing their home because they can't afford the rent or the mortgage. Uh, That is a a really shocking number. It's up nine points from last year. And, And thinking about folks having to couch surf or being on the street because they can't afford to pay the rent or a mortgage. That's a really staggering figure. What are some of the notable differences in priorities and concerns among different breakout groups? 
So people who are living on low income is a really critical group to take a look at. Across income levels, we see concern about the, the rising cost of living. So if you make $100,000 or more, 83% say cost of living is a problem. If you make $50,000 or less, 94% say cost of living is a problem. So I would consider that across income, right? But it's only people who are living on low income who are having to make those difficult sacrifices. One third of people making $50,000 or less have skipped meals in the last year because they couldn't afford food. Compare that to only 4% of those high income earners. And we see that while we can all agree rising cost of living is a concern, it's a problem, we're nervous about it, we're talking about it at the dinner table, it's really only people living on low income who are feeling the pinch and the pressure. I also want to draw attention to Native Americans. It's rare at state level data to have enough conversations with Native Americans that we can really look at the data with confidence. And we had some amazing community partners who helped us talk to more Native Americans. And there's a real story here that we need to be paying attention to. We've got a majority of Native Americans saying they're worse off financially than a year ago. Six in 10 say they're worried about being able to afford food. Four in 10 have skipped meals. I mean, that is uh, something that data that we're fortunate to have, but really numbers that we are shocking and we've got to pay attention to them. And finally, uh, where can listeners find more information about your polls and, and dig into the data themselves? We try to make it all available and usable at copulsepoll.org. Jace Woodrum, Senior Officer of Public Opinion Insights for the Colorado Health Foundation. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much. Governor Jared Polis has signed a bill to mail Colorado taxpayers a refund check in August. As KOTO Scott Franz reports, the payments will be at least $500. The state is legally bound to send out the money thanks to the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. Voters passed it 30 years ago to limit government spending. But Polis is speeding up the refunds by almost a year, saying residents need them sooner. Because uh, costs have gone up and uh, we want to make sure Coloradans can hold on to more of their hard-earned money, whether it's gas, whether it's groceries. Um, this is a, a really important lifeline. Polis says the checks could grow beyond $500 if tax collections beat expectations this summer. He says residents do not need to do anything other than to file their taxes to qualify. Republicans support the checks too, but they say Polis is playing election year games by sending them out just weeks before voters head to the polls. I'm Scott Franz. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for clear skies tonight with a low in the mid-30s. Thursday should be sunny during the day and partly cloudy at night with a high near 70 degrees and a low around 45. Friday expects sunny skies with a high around 70 degrees. Winds could gust as high as 30 miles per hour. Friday night calls for partly cloudy skies with a low around 45. There is a fire weather watch in effect on Friday. This has been the news for Wednesday, May 25th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, personal commentaries. Hey, Coda listeners. 
June is Immigrant Heritage Month, and Tri-County Health Network has lots of events planned to celebrate our immigrants and learn more about the cultures of their home countries. We're kicking off the month with a community fiesta on Sunday, June 5th, from noon to 3 p.m. at Town Park. There will be food, music, dancing, and pinatas. You can learn more about the community fiesta and check out our other events throughout the month at tchnetwork.org slash events dash and dash classes. Vamos de fiesta! Hello Telluride, this is Megan Barry, director of Rainbow Preschool and Rockies After School Program and Summer Camp. After a two-year hiatus, Rainbow Rockies and Rascals Toddler Program are hosting our annual fundraiser and it is an extra special year. We will be celebrating 50 years of Rainbow Preschool. This is a huge milestone and we want the whole community to come out and celebrate with us. If you were a student who attended our programs, if you were a former board member, staff member, or program parent, we want you there. If you've seen our adorable kids walking through town, or if you've walked past our doors, we want you there. After all, it's all about community, and we couldn't have created such a special place for children without you all. So please mark your calendars for Friday, June 3rd at the Transfer Warehouse from 5.30 to 9.30. Tickets are $15 at the door or from any program parent. A ticket gets you entered into a 2022-2023 ski pass raffle, free champagne while it lasts, delicious food, a silent live auction emceed by Zoe Donnell, live music by Sean Mahoney and Flatliner Express with some special guests, a 50-year slideshow, and a community event to remember. Some amazing auction items will include a balloon ride for two, wood flooring, Wagner skis, fine jewelry, hotel stays, festival passes, and much more. So come on out to the Transfer Warehouse on June 3rd, and we can't wait to celebrate with you all. Thank you, Kodo. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Kodo. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.